Good morning, Chapel Hill. For those of you who are visiting, I'm Mark Toon. I'm, I work here, and uh, I'm really glad to uh, welcome you to our church family. I want to start this morning with a couple of pieces of family news. One is a, a good piece of news, and one is a sad piece of news. We'll start with a good piece first. If you didn't notice it last night, uh, our own uh, Gig Harbor High School girls soccer team won the state championship. What you may not know is that Stephanie Cox, who is a Chapel Hill member, it was, is the coach of that team. And uh, not only that, Grace Neal is a member of this church. She was, uh, she was playing a mean de- defensive position uh, on, the, on that team. I got to see them play on, on Friday. She, uh, she was awesome, actually. All of them were. What makes uh, Grace's uh, accomplishment even more significant, she was also on the state champion basketball team last year. So uh, we got quite an athlete there in that little Grace, and uh, it is a, it's something worth celebrating. So if you see someone who knows someone from Gig Harbor High, yeah, pat him on the back and say, well done, well done. The uh, not-so-happy piece of news is that next Sunday will be the last Sunday that we have our dear Charlene Payton. Charlene is moving to California where she will be married, and we celebrate that. Charlene, would stand up. I know you hate this, but I, would you please stand up? Charlene has led us so magnificently. We are going to miss you, my dear, and we wish you very, very best and expect you're going to come back and visit us. Well, this morning, if you are visiting with us, what I'm going to be saying is really not for you. Because this is a little bit of family business. That doesn't mean it'll be wasted on you. It just means that it doesn't apply to you yet. But I do hope that you'll listen in because I do hope that you'll consider becoming part of our church family. And when and if that day comes, then you'll be ready to rock and roll, rock and roll on some things that are really quite important to us. We are drawing near the end of a sermon series on hospitality, in which we've been asking the question, how is your welcome? How well do you do at noticing, at taking the initiative, at reaching out to those persons that are new to our church who walk through our doors on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning? How are you doing? And, and honestly, I, as I've shared with you in, in the previous weeks, this, is, uh, this has stuck me a little bit. As I've studied this topic and seen what the Bible has to say about it, I have found areas in my own life of inhospitality. It doesn't come that easily for me in some ways. I'm actually an introverted person. The, more, the older I get, the more introverted I become. And were it not for my wonderful wife, I would sometimes want to just hunker down and hide. So as some of you might be able to relate to that. But we introverts aren't let off of the hook when it comes to this. And so it has stung me a little bit as I've seen what the Word has to say, and I suspect that there have been some things that have been a little irritating to you as well. I hope it's what the Holy Spirit is saying and not the way I'm saying it, but that's the way it goes. Well, if you thought you were irritated before, (laughs) you ain't seen nothing yet. Because today, today I am going to touch the third rail of church hospitality. I am going to talk about your pew. Where you sit, how you sit there, may be the single most important act of hospitality that you can perform. 
Now, for those of you who are already infuriated with me, I'll give you a moment so you can flee the sanctuary. (laughs) But for the rest of us who are going to stick around, our text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, one chapter earlier than that which we were looking at last week in the story of the prodigal son. So we turn here, we're going to read the first verse of Luke 14, and then I'll drop down to verse 7, okay? Listen to this parable that Jesus told in a very unusual setting, and pay attention to the setting because it matters. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited too. And he who invited both of you will come to you and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and Sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of those who are seated at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, we pray that you will take these words from your mouth and bring them to our hearts by the power of your Spirit. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. The Middle East was and still is a culture of shame and honor. Those are the kind of the two forces that hold in tension the reality of that world. Shame and honor, shame and honor. There's a definite pecking order in the Middle East. And you know where you are on that pecking order, and you're always looking for ways to climb up that pecking order. And one of the best ways to take stock of where you are in the pecking order is when you went to a banquet. Banquets were and are a big deal in that culture. As a matter of fact, in this gospel, Luke's gospel, we have accounts of ten different banquets that are mentioned in the life of Jesus in this short book. And in addition to that, Jesus taught many other times about meals and food. It was just a big, big deal. And um, one of the sleazier aspects, though, of the banquets of the time was this. It was a chance for you to figure out how important you were compared to someone else. Because where you were seated said how important you were. The closer you were to the, the host, the head of the table the more important you were. And if you sat on either side of the host, and especially if you sat on the right hand of the host, then you were big a big deal. One of the most embarrassing moments in the Gospel of Mark is when the mother of James and John came to Jesus and twisted his arm to try to persuade him to give James and John the seats of honor when he came into his power, put him at the right and at the left hand. And in in essence, this mom called shotgun for her disciple sons before any other disciple or any other disciple's mother had a chance to do it. She was pretty crafty. It didn't turn out very well for her, though. And so we shake our head when we hear a story like this. It's a little embarrassing, and we can't hardly believe it. But really, is this interest in jockeying for position that unfamiliar to us? 
I went to two different banquets last year. And it's always pretty much the same thing. You walk in, you don't know where you're going to sit. You go to the hostess who welcomes you. She gives you a, a number, and that is the table to which you are assigned. And then what do you do? You begin to scan the crowd, the, the place to, to see where your table is. And you pretty quickly figure out how important you are in the scheme of things. I discovered in both of these banquets I wasn't that important. As, as a matter of fact, in, in one banquet where I kind of thought that I would be something of a big shot... I was seated at at a table that could not have been farther from the head table and still been inside the building. (laughs) It was good for my ego. The only thing that would have been better for my ego would have been if I had sat down in the wrong place and then been asked to get up and move to another, which is something that happened to my daughter, Rachel. Two years ago, our family was flying down to Salt Lake City for Christmas, and our daughter, Rachel, was seated in the exit row. Now, Rachel at the time was 24 years old. She was in her final year at seminary. In other words, she was uh, an accomplished uh, young woman in graduate school. The, The flight attendant came, stopped at our row, looked over at Rachel and said, I'm going to have to move you out of this row. You need to be 15 to sit here. She was livid. She was livid. I thought the air marshal was going to have to come over and deal with this. And it didn't help that her mother, who was sitting right next to her, was laughing her head off. (laughs) We finally convinced the flight attendant that Rachel was of age, and she was more than capable of figuring out how to open that door in in the case of an emergency. And so she got to sit there. But... To this day, when I ask her about this story, as I did, it kind of peels the the scab back off of the wound, and uh, she is reminded once again of the time when she was uh, almost kicked out of her exit row seat, because as she put it, she was 24 freaking years old. This is the subject of the parable that we've just heard. Jesus uh, was dining at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. We hear the word Pharisees, but let me remind you that these were the, uh, these were the fundamentalists of their times. These were the religious straight-laced folks. They believed that you got into God's good graces by, well, by observing all of the religious rules about what you ate and, and how you washed yourself and, and how you observed Sabbath and all of the rest including hundreds of rules that they just kind of made up. The Pharisees were Jesus' arch enemies, and they were always looking for a way to discredit him. And there's no difference in this story. Because we, it says something about the courage of Jesus, don't you think? That he would expect, accept the invitation to come to dine at the ruler of a Pharisee's home. And so he does. And pretty quickly we see that it's no different from any other time that he encounters the Pharisees. Because we are told that they were watching him carefully. You know what that means, don't you? They were looking for a chance to trip him up. To trap him. To catch him in in something that he did or something that he said. To his enormous credit, Jesus still accepted the invitation. And when he got there and saw what was going on, he saw the guests were, were jockeying for position at the table. 
And so he tells this parable in which a person suffers the humiliation of being asked by the host to get up and leave their seat for a more distinguished person, and they have to make their way down all the way to the lowest place. It was a humiliating story. And he said, listen, to avoid that, just when you come to a party, sit in the lower place in the first place. And then maybe when the host comes along, you might get a first-class upgrade. That's basically what he's saying. And of course, this parable is not really talking about seating charts at a banquet, is it? Remember, Jesus was surrounded by Pharisees. They were snobby rule keepers who believed that they had earned a place of favor with God because they were so well-behaved. He, they, because they followed all of the rules and they, they had earned their spot in heaven. They were God's favorites, especially compared to the rule breaker like Jesus of Nazareth. The, the Pharisees believed they had earned a prominent place at God's table. Maybe not right next to the Lord, but certainly within earshot. And they felt quite comfortable in walking in and claiming that place. And Jesus said, That's not how you get a place at God's table. You don't just walk up and claim it, he says. Well, how then do you find your place at the table? He says, the host invites you. You sit at the table where the host invites you. Here's what's interesting. You might not have noticed it, but five times in this story, the host is mentioned in one way or the other. Five times in this little story, we are reminded about the one who does the inviting. And who's he talking about here? It's God. It is God who sets the place at his table for his people. We don't presume to march into God's banquet hall and take a seat. Rather, to our amazement, we discover that God has thrown a party and invited us to come. And it's not because we deserve it. It's just because he loves us. And we saw a perfect example of that in the parable last week, didn't we? When the prodigal son, that no good black sheep of a boy, returns and his father, who has been humiliated this by this boy, he kills the fatted calf and throws a great feast and invites the whole darn village to come and celebrate the return of his wayward son. Now, according to Jesus in this story, what is the root at at the heart? What is at the heart of the desire to claim the best seat for oneself? He would say it's pride, right? It's pride that causes us to claim the best seat for ourselves. The desire to be important, or at least more important than the person who's next to you. And that's why Jesus concludes with these powerful words to live by. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted, will be lifted up. Okay, now I'm going to touch that third rail I talked about earlier. I have preached many dangerous sermons in my time. uh, Sermons on sex and abortion and predestination and even money. Uh, But I've never preached a topic uh, that would be more dangerous to my career than than this one. Pews. I think most of us suffer from pew envy. (laughs) And when we talk about what we can do to be a more welcoming congregation, this may be the single issue that can do more good or cause more harm. Because we love our pew, don't we? When we opened the doors of this sanctuary, November 23rd, 1997, here's what I told you in the sermon. I said, pay careful attention to where you just sat down. Because the greatest likelihood is that you will sit in that seat for the rest of your lives. (laughs) 
Am I right about that? I know I'm right about it. I don't have to look for where you are. I know where you guys are going to be seated. Once you stake out your place in your church, we never move. And woe be to that hapless stranger who sits down in our spot. This is a touchy topic. And I'm not just talking about the pews in the balcony. Some of you might be aware, a few of you perhaps, that we closed the balcony this summer. And we did it for a number of good reasons, but it struck a nerve. I have received more notes about closing the balcony than any other topic in my 32 years of ministry. I'm not kidding you. We changed denominations and I didn't get more notes from you than on the topic of the balcony. Every single week since this summer, I've gotten cards about the balcony. This issue has the half-life of uranium. And so my response was the same in every case. I invite them to come in. I sit down. I talk with them. We have a gracious conversation. And I've had many of those where you share your reasons for this. I share my reasons for why we are doing it. And I hope that those folks have felt honored in the time that we've taken to do this. But the fact is, everyone has pew issues. It's not just balcony folks. In fact, when those balcony folks came down here and displaced you from your pew, you suddenly had pew issues. Where we sit, for some strange reason, matters intensely to us. And I will just say, it matters to me too. Where I sit matters to me. I love holding MVP status on my airline. Being able to book row 17, seats A, C, D, or F, reclining exit row online... Being able to get in early ahead of the rest of the masses. Being able to put my, my bag up front, up the top when, when no one else is there. Even the occasional upgrade to business class when I know I've really made it. <laughs> Although my son is quick to point out, you're a mere MVP, Dad. You're not an MVP gold. You're not a 75, a mere MVP. So he's always humbling me. And yet, it matters to me. It matters so much that one year when I was short of MVP, I literally booked a flight to San Diego down and back just so I could save MVP status for that year. (laughs) One day, in down and back. I'm going to make you raise your hand. How many have ever done the same thing? Come on. (laughs) Yep. I know you did. I like being MVP. And I want to be MVP when I visit a church, too. I like to sit on the end of the pew. I feel trapped in the middle. And so I show up early enough and take that desired seat. And I figure, if you want that place, you get to church early and you claim your spot. But don't make me move into the claustrophobic zone because you can't get to church on time. And maybe you hear my prideful heart showing through just a little bit there. You know my nickname for this church. What is my nickname for you? The Sweetheart Church. And you are that to me. But honestly, this whole pew thing has brought out a side of us that is not so sweet. We laugh about it, but there has been some some points that have been very discouraging. I've had newcomers who have tried to sit down and were told they couldn't sit there because it was saved. We had one young woman who was new to the church. She was already seated 
when someone came in, stood over her and said, you're sitting in my seat. And she thought she was kidding. She wasn't kidding. And so this newcomer got up and moved. We had an usher who tried to seat a family with a man in a wheelchair. And the person who was seated next to the wheelchair area refused to move. Some have threatened to go to another church because they can't sit where they prefer. And one person said they wouldn't give another dime until he could sit where he wanted to sit. And to all of that, I have to say, really? Really? Wowza! Is that healthy? Is that really the church that we are? Is that really the church that we want to be? And I think when we hear these accounts, and every one of them has happened, I think we are reminded of the pride issues that Jesus spoke of in this parable. This is my church, and you can't tell me where to sit. I've heard that one too. And when we reach that point of pride, I think it's because we have forgotten what it feels like to be unwanted. Don't you remember when you were a teenager and when you were the last one to be picked for the team? Or you sat waiting for the call to the prom that never came? Or when you showed up at a party and no one spoke to you? I remember every one of those. And it is painful, isn't it? We might think that we have the right to sit where we want. We might think that we've earned the right because we've worshipped here for 30 years. But surely that misses the point. After a while, don't we stop being guests and start being hosts? This becomes our house, doesn't it? Our family, our party. And so doesn't it fall to us to welcome those who come after us? This is a heart issue. This is a pride issue. So what would it be like if instead of claiming our rights to sit where we please as honored guests, that we began to think of ourselves as gracious hosts? The issue isn't whether I have the right to claim a spot on the end of the pew and make you crawl over me. The issue is, do I have a heart that is humble enough to defer to others, to make, to make it more comfortable for latecomers, more welcoming? So here's what I've started doing, and maybe you have noticed. I thought, I can't tell you guys to do this if I'm not well. So I've been sitting in different spots. It's really throwing you off, I can tell. I, I, I'm trying to mix it up. I'm stretching my, you know, spreading my wings a little bit. So maybe you ought to try that. I, by the way, I see that some of you read the, ni- the title of the, of the sermon because you already moved. You're trying to get extra credit before I even ask. So I do. I, I see the greens right over there. And who else did I see over here? You already moved. Good for you. So maybe you just sit in a different place to mix things up. Maybe you come early some Sunday. And you take note of the person who are sitting by themselves. Do you know that that is the most lonely moment for a newcomer when they come to the church early, take their seat, and they're sitting there, and they don't know anyone, and they don't have a clue what's going to happen next. Can you imagine what a grace it would be if you walked up to them and said, my name is Mark. I'd love to know your name. Tell me about yourself. What a wonderful welcome that would be. For some of you, it might mean coming on time. How can you be a host to your own party when you are 20 minutes late? You wouldn't do that at your home, your other home. 
And yet we do that here. You cannot welcome others if you're not here on time. I know that one's going to touch a wire second service. You can shoot a cannon through this place at 1045. No one would have a chance of getting hurt. You got your issues too. Don't get too judgy. And I'm talking to you, Roe E. Of course, we can do things differently, but the real change has to take place in our heart because you can't fake humility, can you? And perhaps that change of heart might come when we remember that the host of this party is the divine Son of God who sat enthroned in heaven next to the Father, but who for our sake left all of that behind and came on a rescue mission for us. Paul put it this way in majestic terms in Philippians chapter 2 when he said, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be clutched, but emptied himself, taking on the form of of a servant. The only way that we can claim the right to a seat of honor in God's house is because we forgot that we were invited by one who gave up his seat of honor in order to make a place for us. And we're working hard at doing a better job of this. I really think we are. I think we're getting more aware. I've seen you guerrilla greeters out there doing your thing. I've heard you talking about it. Good for you. Where you are working to make room for those who wonder if there is room in this family for them. And the message seems to be getting out, by the way. Do you know that in the last six months we have experienced significant growth? And it's the first time that that has happened in more than 10 years. In every single service, we are up about 16%. Those are real people. So you're, you're doing a good job. In fact, in January, we're going to be moving our Saturday evening service into the sanctuary because we need more room. Isn't that great? So you are doing a good job in so many ways. You're inviting your friends. You're welcoming them when they get here. Good for you. Now comes the toughest part. Will you consider giving up your MVP status for the sake of one who gave up his MVP status? that we might make a place for our new friends. We have talked a lot about moving beyond these walls. How can we move beyond these walls if we cannot move beyond these pews? Right? Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful to still be alive. (laughs) I'm grateful for the sense of humor and for the way that we've entered into this conversation together. And Lord, I'm sure that every one of us kind of gets stung by this. I know that I do. At the heart of it, Lord, is the desire to serve you, to model who you are, to care for those who come and don't know if there's a place of welcome for them. That's at the heart of this, God. And so, Lord, would you please help us to set aside all of our rights, all of our privileges that we might believe that we have as members and longtime attenders of this church? Would you cause us to set all of those aside? Because we remember, Jesus, that you set aside every prerogative that you had. When you left heaven to come to earth, you emptied yourself and you took on the form of a servant. The servant who knelt down and washed disciples' feet. The servant who was raised up on a cross that he might be, die, might be killed for our sake, for our sins. That is what we want to model our lives after, Lord. And so I pray 
increasingly we will remember that and be those kind of people. God, may we be willing to give up our seat for another. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.